Welcome to My First Dungeon, the tabletop role-playing podcast. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, yeah? why don't you let me try? I, well, I mean, this is kind of my, this is my part. It's no, my flappy no, no, hands no, no. part. I got it. I got it. No, I think I, I, think I got it. I got All the right. flappy hands. Uh, okay. Yeah, sure. <clears throat> Hello, and welcome to My First Dungeon Playtest Edition, the tabletop role-playing podcast where we put game designers through their paces as we build and run a one-shot of an in-progress game they are working on, and then circle back around to discuss what went right, what went wrong, and how we can make their game even better. Now our guest today is the one you usually hear giving the fun, flappy hand intro. He's the host of My First Dungeon, the 20-sided podcast, and a good friend of mine, Brian Flaherty. How does it feel to seed the hosting chair? Feels weird. Feels weird. I don't know about it. Uh, but it's going to no, be fun. It'll be great. I'll take care of you. Great, great to have you have me on the podcast. Great to have me have you as well. <laughs> totally. It's great. We're having yeah. so much fun. All right. So let's dive right in on this game you've been working on. Why don't you just start by giving me the, the elevator pitch? What's this game? This game is Schrodinger's Cats. Let me just read you my little log line because I think it, it sums it up. Hit it. I'm going to do this nice and dramatic. Everyone knows we cats have nine lives. Once spent, they linger and frolic in an in-between place called the liminality. Neither living nor truly dead. They are our friends, ourselves, our invisible companions. Now, someone has begun to steal away our spent lives, imprisoning them somewhere beyond. To find out who and to rescue ourselves, we must find a way into this liminal space. To be both alive and dead. To do this, we must become Schrodinger's cats. So this, this is a, a combination of like short, kind of like one page. I mean, this is a bit longer than one page RPGs, but combination of short, like one page type RPGs that I've grown to really love, and a combination of my love of like quantum physics. And when I say I love a quantum physics, I mean like sure. what I learned in high school. I, I'm not claiming to be any kind of expert, but the idea of like quantum superposition of things being like true and not true of light being both a particle and a wave at the same time mm-hmm. um, and having that come together in something that is so dear to my heart, which is, you know, cats. I have two cats myself mm-hmm. in, the, in the way that like cats always seem to be like, are they liquid? Are they solid? How are they moving like that? And just to stretch that like fun little goofy idea out into, well, they're actually alive and dead playing with the idea of Schrodinger's cat mm. and like cats have nine lives, these kind of, you know, tropes. And Schrodinger's cat is one of those things that you like learn about when you like get the basics of quantum physics. And really, if you're a particular kind of person, I think really just digs into your brain and sits there as like one of those just very cool, interesting things that you heard. Yeah. So, so for those who don't know, Schrodinger's cat is a thought experiment. It was uh, proposed by, Austrian-Irish physicist Erwin Schrödinger, basically as, as a way to illustrate like kind of the, the craziness of these quantum theories. So the idea is that a lot of quantum physics goes around the idea that things can operate in multiple states. So like light can be both a particle and a wave. This is proven by like the famous two-slit experiment. It changes when it is observed, um, which is a big part of this game. Like what is not observed, what is observed. And, and the... The thought experiment is basically like, hey, you put a cat in a box with a like a poisonous cesium atom that is emitting radiation like once every small particle of time. It is equally possible that this cat is alive or dead. Now, while the box is closed, 
both of those things are true because you don't know what is actually inside. Once you open the box, you see that there is only one answer. So it's light is both a particle and a wave until you observe it. And then it is that superposition is collapsed into one uh, answer. A great explanation of Schrodinger's cat, if I do say so. It's it's the best I can do. Yeah, no, no, no. I think it's effective. But um, but but if it sounds crazy, like if it sounds like a weird experiment, it's because it's deliberately meant to be that. It's like, hey, if you take something that is weird on a quantum level and blow it up to a macro scale, it sounds absurd. Right. Uh, and that was kind of Schrodinger's like point about it. Like he was trying to illustrate how crazy this is. But the wonderful thing about games is that we can take the absurd and make it real and play in it. Exactly. So before we get into the the nitty gritty of the mechanics, um, you've you, you know you've been a tabletop podcaster for a while. You were a player and a GM before that. What made you finally decide to put pen to paper and try your hand at design? So the the first game I designed was a game uh, called Double Agent Double Trouble. And it was basically like a spy game. So it was like a, a spy game crossed with uh, social deception games, like One mm-hmm. Night Ultimate Werewolf. And it was like directly, it was it was a honey heist, lasers and feelings, you know, hack essentially with a bunch more mechanics thrown in. This game can be traced directly back to 10 Candles because I read 10 Candles and the, the dice pool mechanic in there with the slowly shrinking dice pool, I thought was such a great, mechanic just is such a great game mechanic on its own that i wanted to play with that like it really sparked my imagination in that way and i liked the idea of dice kind of going away and things getting harder as it goes or like Mm. outcomes being more certain as it goes so combining that with with this you know idea of schrodinger's cat the the first idea that came to me was like essentially as dice get eliminated from the dice pool by rolling ones you put them into a physical box that is on the table that Mm. is like you know you close the lid you don't observe what is inside and as you go you add more and more dice to this this box now anything could be inside this box until you open it you don't know what's inside of it and that comes into play later on like when you need an out when like your your back's up against the wall you can then open this box of infinite possibilities find out what is inside and possibly you know save your own skin or not the cat could be either alive or dead love it I think I really nailed saying that last line, it, which in a way that made it seem like I really had that planned. I didn't. It just it came in the moment. It sounded good. So <laughs> no, don't 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 give me don't. any extra credit for, I think, nailing a line one time. You can't you can't let everybody know your secrets. That's that's half the half the good stuff is unplanned. We got it. We got to let them in. So we got into it a little bit there. But so this dice pool mechanic teach me how to use it say say we're gonna sit down for a play like what is that central mechanic so i understand it's a shrinking dice pool you've got this uh add-on in the box but let's go let's go from from start to finish how does the mechanic work so the dice pool is a a pool of dice that is equal to and again because we haven't play tested this game i'm kind of taking a guess at what i think the proper number of dice would be kind of to create a two to three hour game um but what I have written down at the moment is four D6s per player, uh, not including the game master. So if you have three players plus a game master, you have a total of 12 dice. In this game, we only care about sixes and ones, uh, very similar to 10 candles. So if you roll your dice pool and you get more sixes than ones, that is a complete success. Whatever you're trying to do in your action, 
uh, is successful and no dice are removed from the dice pool in a success. If you have a failure, that means you have more ones than sixes. When this happens, all the dice that are ones are removed from the dice pool and put into the box, uh, like essentially rolled inside this, you know, opaque, you know, cats love cardboard boxes. Get a cardboard box, put it in the center of your gaming table, rolled inside this cardboard box and the box is kind of sealed so we can't see what's inside, creating that superposition that Erwin talked about. And if you have a, a mixed success where you have equal number of sixes and ones, you do succeed in what you're trying to do. There are some complications in the same way that a partial success would work in most games. And half the number of one of dice that were rolled as ones get put into the box, mm-hmm. um, rounded down as always. So let me clarify here. So at the start, there's no dice in the box. Correct. We start with all the dice are with the players. So we have the most possibilities in the game. So you're rolling 12 dice and you're just trying to get more sixes than ones or an equal number of sixes to ones to have a partial success. And as we go on, the more ones that get rolled with failures, the more ones get put into the box. Now, when you, let's say we're towards the end of that game, that box is full. How do I, how do I make use of it? So when all the dice are in the box, that introduces us to the end game portion of the game, which becomes a bit more of a narrative game. I I borrowed this particular bit directly from Fiasco, Mm. where you then open the box, you stop playing a role-playing game in that kind of moment-to-moment way you play like a D&D or a Honey Heist, you look at what is left in the box and the sixes and ones that are in the box you remove. For each die, you narrate something good or bad that happens and complete the story with those dice. So for instance, you get to the end of the game and there are all 12 dice in the box. If you're playing with three players, you open the box and you see there are four sixes and two ones. You take them out, going around in turn, player by player. Each player can grab a six or a one and narrate a positive thing that happens. So Pickles is running down the street trying to catch the the, the, the crazed and spectral animal control officers and mm-hmm. ho- hops onto a moving cab and is able to get onto the, the vehicle that is running away with, with her past lives. So great, that, that narrates a success that gets you further down the road to the end of the story. Then if the next player picks up one of the ones, they narrate something bad that happens or something negative that happens that puts you further back. But by the time you get to the end of the sixes and the ones, you have fully narrated the ending of this game. So once we open the box and we see what is inside, the possibilities are now fixed. We know if this is going to be a positive ending or a negative ending. Mm -hmm. Um, And that doesn't mean you necessarily have to follow exactly what the dice do. You can kind of have two very good positive things happen and four, you know, kind of minor negative things happen. But I think it is more fun to kind of take what is inside that box as the cat either being alive or dead. Is this going to be a happy ending or a sad ending? And some of the cat's special powers in the game do have an ability to manipulate what is inside that box. Um, So that's Mm. something we can kind of come to when we go to like character creation. Now, but there there is a very clear like game portion of this game, which is when there are Mm -hmm. dice still in play. And then there is an end game portion, which is very much a wrap up denouement section where we've played all we're going to play. And now we are telling the ending together with a set number of positive outcomes and negative outcomes left. And of course, you know, if you end up opening the box and there's like one six, you know, take as much liberty as you want to finish the story. But it's, mm. it's a good guideline of is this going to be a positive ending? Is this going to be a negative ending? Is the cat alive or dead? 
whether that is literal or figurative. And I love a game that brings in like a, a decided end game, especially I think for like one shots, like that makes it super easy for somebody to run. It's like they know there's a clear point where the game ends. They know how to end it. And I think mm-hmm. that's a super useful tool for people who want to put together um, one shot play. I think ending one shots is honestly one of the hardest, like one shots are very hard to run because oh, yeah. you can't just stop when it gets tough for you as a game master or inconvenient, or you don't know what's happening enough. Like if you're playing in a home D and D game or something, you get to right before a battle that you haven't prepared for Like, all right. And that's it for this uh, session. We'll come back to the next time and you can, you've got, you know, a week to plan. Yep. As with the kind of the ethos of this show in general, I want to set up game masters and players for success. And that's what this ending, this end game mechanic is trying to do. Like once you get to that point, now it's just a collaborative storytelling exercise rather than a game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it prevents the the habit of like one shots turning into two shots, turning into three shots, which uh exactly. been guilty of um, when trying to do a one shot. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, you mentioned pickles running up to a cab. Let's talk about character creation. What's this game like for a player when they sit down to play? And then we'll talk about the GM a little bit. So character creation is super easy. It it takes a lot of inspiration from honey heist from something is wrong with the chickens. It's all based on, uh, roll tables. Now, if you come in and have your own idea of what you want to play, more power to you. I say go for it. Like talk with your game master, make sure they're okay with whatever you want your like crazy cat power to be. But you will roll 4d6 because there are four main things that you are building as your cat. The first is your cat breed. So this is, you could be a tuxedo cat, a tabby cat, hairless cat, Persian, Maine Coon, or a kitten. I'm sure there are more like fun and crazy cat ideas you could have. I'm sure if someone wants to be like Sphinx reincarnated or something, you could do that. Um, <laughs> I guarantee there are cool options that I've not thought of. Uh, so if you have them, use them. Um, so first, first is your, your cat breed. Uh, second is your cat's personality. Now, each of these is described, is named and given a description and also given a power that they can use. So for instance, we have the cool cat. He's a, he's a smooth operator. And his power is when you make a roll, you may remove one die from the box at random, look at its result, and either return it to the box without changing the result or re-roll it. You do not get to view the contents of the box entirely, but you get to take a look at one of the dice. So this is before one of the ways... Before the end game. Session. Before the end game, yeah. This is one of the ways that the players can interact with what is in the box and try to force the outcome towards something that they want. And you're basically using this power anytime you are rolling, especially if you're doing something that kind of fits in with your cat's personality. So if you're the cool cat, you should be, you know... A smooth operator, street savoir faire, you know, straight up out of Oliver and Company. Mm. Billy Joel's character, not Oliver, because Billy Joel's the cool one in that one. Of course. <laughs> if you're the scaredy cat, you act scaredy. If you're the copycat, you're just imitating what everyone else is doing. There's a lot of fun to be had with those. And of course, you know, we've got copycat, we've got fat cat, we've got alley cat, we've got hell cat. So you've got a lot of fun, different things you can do. And if you map those personalities onto, if you have a pet cat, map those onto your cat, you very quickly know how to play the character. Yeah. I, I don't know about everyone out there, but like me and my girlfriend do voices for both of our cats. They have very distinct personalities and I can pick them out on this table exactly which ones they are. Absolutely. I feel like if you're not playing your own cat in this game, if you're a cat owner, I feel like that's like an unwritten rule. 
that you, that you got to try playing your own cat at least once. I think you got to play your own cat or play like your cat's buddy. Yeah. Cause, cause there is an aspect of this where we'll get into the lives later, but it, it is about like your cats are trying to rescue their past selves. Like they're, they're lost, you know, with, with the idea of a cat has nine lives. Mm. Some of those lives get spent by, you know, doing crazy curious cat things and they now need to be uh refound also side note i learned that you know the expression curiosity killed a cat yeah it's not the whole expression the whole expression is curiosity killed the cat but satisfaction brought it back interesting i love when i hear an expression that's unfinished there's so many of them where they make they have totally different meanings my my favorite one is um blood is thicker than water which kind of mm. implies that family is more important than like friends or whatever. The full expression is blood of the covenant is thicker than water of the womb, which literally mm. inverts the meaning. It means the bonds you make on purpose are more important than family. I love how things get bastardized in that way. It's very it's fun. The Jack of all trades one I know is finished in a different way and I can't remember what it is, but I know it's the same thing where it also is like a reverse. Meaning. It's Jack of all trades, master of none, but maybe better than master of one. Yeah, I think that's right. Something like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of fun stuff like that. So popular phrase tangent aside. So we've got breed. We've got personality, which is associated with your power. What are the other two? So we've got, we've got breed and personality, which are kind of your cat's real world stats. So they're, they're mortal being, if you were, they're, they're corporeal being. Now we move to the other side of the box. We move inside the box to talk about their quantum and their paranormal powers. Now, this is where it gets very much like something is wrong with the chickens where how you have a chicken power and an eldritch power. This is kind of the same thing. You have a corporeal cat power and you have a quantum or paranormal power more in the Excellent. quantum realm. And these don't have a specific mechanic tied to them. They are just things that you can do. And I allow the game masters to, you know, free license to have fun with those. So for instance, you have some classics that you might kind of uh, associate with these things, which is like invisibility you have flight, you have my personal favorite one is quantum entanglement, mm. which in uh, quantum physics, and I'm sure I'm bastardizing this, but just kind of go with me on this, is the idea that two particles over a vast distance, if one move, say if one spins left, the other spins left, like they are entangled, they are combined, even though they're separated by great distances. Mm -hmm. And this is the same thing where your cat can like puppeteer some other cat or a person like but through a, a quantum realm rather than like a like a charm effect it's like they're physically by using this this effect they are forcing someone else to mimic their motions because they are now quantumly entangled nice uh, which so like mind fun. control telekinesis kind of wrapped up into one yeah I, I think it's it leans more towards telekinesis mm. um where it's like the the target of your quantum entanglement wouldn't understand what's happening but would be doing it. Though I don't know. You're welcome to play with that however you want. Right. Um, and then the other one that I think is good for cats is uh, feline duality, which is uh, a cat's body has already seemed like it's part liquid when it's squeezing through little holes. Now it's just really true. You can <laughs> just, you can exist in multiple states at once. Solid liquid gas. Who cares? Love that. The last stat you need to roll is your number of lives. So I think this is actually a, a good moment for character creation because up till now, you know, your cat's vague personality, you know what their like power in the quantum realm would be. By learning their number of lives, which is you roll a 1d6 and add two, 
you know how many lives they have left. And also that kind of tells you what kind of life they've lived. So if you're playing an alley cat who has all nine lives left or has eight lives left, you know that they're like super careful or they're very like streetwise. They, they really are good. Whereas if you play a kitten that has three lives left, you know, that kitten has fallen off of everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like, like a one roll backstory. Exactly. And I think there are a lot of fun ways you can, I think, I think it informs a lot about a lot of different cats. So if I'm, if I'm rolling for lives and I get like, I roll a one and I get, I end up with a cat with three lives. Mm-hmm. Is there any kind of mechanical advantage or disadvantage to the number of lives you roll in character creation? So there is, it took me a little while to figure out this part. Cause I wanted to make sure that I don't think this is the type of game that anyone's going to try to like power game, but I wanted I to make sure not. that wasn't like a thing that might happen because what, what I, what I had originally was you could spend your remaining lives because essentially whatever lives you have, you, you're holding on to. Whatever lives you don't are the ones that have been captured and you're trying to retrieve. And also just kind of on, on, you know, big picture of that idea in my head, the past lives of a cat are the things that, it, that a cat is playing. If you own a cat, you know, this thing for sure is the, the thing that it's playing with when it's like running around, having the zoomies in your apartment for no reason, or is like looking up into space for no reason, like looking at ghosts. It's mm-hmm. looking at its past lives. It's playing with its past self, but you're feel free to play with that idea. However you want. That's how I mm-hmm. looked at it. But if you want to play it as like them gaining more lives by f- grabbing those back, do that. So when any action occurs, any player may attempt to augment the result of their roll. So if you rolled 10d6 and you realize you have a, a failure by one or you have a mixed success and you want to try to get a success, you can turn to your past lives for guidance. With your lives, you're starting out by looking to the lives you've already spent and what you've learned from them. So when an action occurs, when you make a roll, any player can attempt to augment that roll. So you can do it on someone else's roll if you want. You can attempt to augment that role by turning to one of your past lives for guidance. So essentially, if someone, if one of the cats is trying to like climb a building or something and Mm. they fail, they can then turn to one of their past lives and like recall a time from their past lives that they climbed and failed or like learn something from climbing. They can reroll any die that is neither a one or a six. So the successes Mm. and failures are always fixed. You can roll one of the two, three, four, fives. And, and um, how is that different for cats who have like three lives left or six lives left? Or is it not? By reminiscing on your past lives, you can augment as many dice as you have lives spent. So if you have three lives, that means you have six lives spent. You can augment up to six dice and that you can re-roll up to six dice. That could be all on one roll. That could be spread out over six rolls. You can do as many as you want. But each life that you reflect on to try to augment this roll is a chance for a player and a GM to act out like a short scene in a past life. So we mm. essentially a flashback mechanic. We mm-hmm. see flashbacks of this cat's life and how they have learned from things. So also kind of like, you know, Slumdog Millionaire, where mm-hmm. every question he gets, he's flashing back to how he learned the answer. Yeah. It's very much reminiscent of that. However, once you reminisce on a past life, you can no longer reminisce on that past life. So if you only had three lives left, and you had six lives spent, once you cross off each of those six lives, then you are actively spending your remaining lives. Mm. So that allows you to do something slightly different. By spending a life, you can reroll one die, only one die at a time, so you can't spend like two lives to uh, try to reroll two dice. 
You can reroll one die of any number. So one, two, three, four, five, or six. You could fully augment a success or a failure. So it's a more mm-hmm. powerful power. However, you are literally spending one of your lives to do it. Got it. So because your cat is getting closer to death and because it is a more significant like narrative moment, mm. the power is greatly increased. So it is a sliding scale for the cats. You could have a lot of lives spent, essentially have a lot of knowledge behind you that you can draw upon, but then you don't have much chance to use this slightly bigger power, which is spending your lives, but you may not want to do that. Whereas if you are a cat that has nine or eight lives, you don't have that knowledge to draw upon. Mm -hmm. And you now have to actively put yourself in danger to learn the lessons that you would have learned in past lives, essentially. So you're actively learning lessons. And even doing that, you're still not guaranteeing a success. Sure, 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 sure. Once the player only has one life remaining, they can no longer spend that life in this way. Instead, they must choose to do an action which is called collapsing the wave function. Mm. This is the second way that the, the box comes into play. So sometimes you don't need possibilities. You don't need possibilities change. You need certainty. This is what happens when you only have one life left. Is the cat alive or is the cat dead? When a character only has one life remaining and they wish to alter any role that they have made, they can choose to open the box. They open the box, they take the results of the dice inside instead of whatever they rolled. Once they do that, no additional powers from any cats can alter this result. By collapsing the wave function, you've essentially, you have cut out the infinite possibilities of the superposition. You are now certain of the outcome. Mm. And this, this, because this is a big swing, game-breaking moment, any success in this moment should be game-changing, groundbreaking, something amazing and wonderful is happening. And failures in this manner are, if you'll excuse the pun, catastrophic. <laughs> that won't be the last one, I promise. Failures sure in this manner will be catastrophic and almost certainly end in the character losing their final life and passing fully into liminality uh, for real. In the event of a mixed success, you can kind of discuss that with your players and have probably have a a positive outcome, but with a personal sacrifice for your cat. Right. Or you could even like uh, have something change about the cat because it's like an instability or something like that. Yeah, it is. I really leave it up to the game master. There's a lot you can do with a mixed success like that. And then once the result is viewed, obviously we know it's inside the box. Now you close the box again and shake it to reestablish the superposition, essentially re-rolling and recreating the random factor. So what that also means is if you choose to do this, any work that any character has done to try to influence what is inside the box will be lost. So they may have been shaken. Exactly. They may have been working towards putting a positive ending together by putting a lot of sixes or re-rolling ones they found in the box. That might work out for you great in the moment. But now you're kind of back to square one on what is inside that box. And likely if you've gotten down to your last life, that means we're pretty close to the end game already. It is an action not to be taken lightly. Mm. It is an action that should be absolutely rewarded when it is with either the highest highs or the lowest lows, because that's what this is meant to be. I'm curious when when you get into playtesting and, and we're going to talk about that process a little bit. But I think one thing that I would definitely watch out for is is how that balance plays out amongst your players, like how the folks with eight lives left and the folks with three lives left see how they play differently. I think that'll be really, really interesting to see. Yeah, because originally I just had it where you could spend your past lives or like reminisce on your past lives. Mm. But I didn't want everyone to like want to have a bunch of you don't want to give someone one player resource and not the other. And you don't want anyone like 
really trying to, I don't know. I, I wanted this to be more of a narrative game than everyone trying to like Bogart the best powers. Is there other ways to lose the lives you have? Or is this the, is this the only way? That's the only way mechanically. If you have something in your narrative that you believe warrants a lost life. So if, if one of your characters fails and the only thing that could possibly happen is them falling from like a five story building and losing a life. Right. Can absolutely do that. And then you can draw upon that experience uh, to reroll something later. So, hey, remember when at that time I fell out of that building? Not going to do it this time. Nice. Um, so there's something fun to be had there. One of my worries is, you know, and even as a cat person, hmm. I am nervous that people won't want to get any of their kitty pals any closer to death. Like you don't want to spend your, your lives. Yeah. It's tough. I mean, I think, I think you gotta, I think you gotta, um, tonally think about this less like, you know, homeward bound or even Oliver and company and more like Tom and Jerry Looney tunes, um, is how you have to think about the cats. Like this is that kind of cat cartoon cat, not, not the cartoon cat that you're really worried about. Exactly. Hey there, it's Elliot from the Many Sided Media team. In addition to playing and producing here on My First Dungeon, I'm also a game designer known for such games as Something is Wrong with the Chickens, a rules-like game of chickens, eldritch horror, and revenge. Project Echo, a solo time travel game played in the pages of a planner. And the upcoming Rom-Com Drama Bomb, a three-player game of meet-cutes and mayhem. If you like weird and unique games and want to bring something new to your table, head to moreblueberries.shop and use code MYFIRSTDUNGEON for 20% off your order. That's M-O-R-E-B-L-U-E-B-E-R-R-I-E-S dot shop. Thanks! But, But that does also come to one of my biggest concerns with the game is that I came at this game with a like fun idea and a, and inspiration from a mechanic, mm. which is a fine way to come to, you know, any kind of game design, but it didn't start from a place of like, I want to look at this mood or I want to explore this idea or theme. Mm-hmm. So I'm coming into this, this play test, not really knowing what those are and hoping that it kind of reveals itself in the game. Because I think that what we've talked about it on this podcast before, where the best games that we've played, you know, we love 10 Candles. We love Wander Home. We love Something's Wrong with the Chickens. And it's because they have a very clear idea of like the themes they want to explore. Mm-hmm. Wander Home was like very specifically, uh, Jay's talked about it being about homelessness and like that mm-hmm. kind of feeling. 10 Candles very much about tragic horror and like every aspect of the game design goes into tragedy and inevitability and like finding hope in those moments. This game doesn't have that, which is, I think, a a point against it in the design factor. It should have a single point that everything else is pointing to that I don't Mm. think it has. Uh, Well, I I, I would maybe push back a little bit. I think that might be some of your, you know, a little bit of self-doubt playing in. I think one of the things that's coming through for me as you're talking is that everything is enforcing this idea of, like, quantum mechanics but make it silly. And I think that that's, like, well, it's not doesn't have the same heft as something like tragic horror and 10 candles. It doesn't need to. And I think, and I think that is a through line and I think it's coming through in all these stages you're talking about. I think in particular, what I would say is that this four role character creation does a lot of what like I love in rules like games and one shot games is that it gives you just like a very clear idea 
mm-hmm. of who your cat is from the get-go. And I know that's what you love about games, so I'm not surprised you you pulled something together like that. But I would say that that's, that'll get people in that silly quantum physics mood right off the bat. And I think that like you can make it clear even in the rules. It's like, lean into quantum physics, but you don't have to understand quantum physics. Lean into like whatever your silliest idea of quantum physics is, because that's, like yeah. you said, kind of the point of the experiment. So Because again... I am in no, I have a, I studied this in college a little bit, but I have, I would not claim a college level expertise in this at all. I would claim maybe a high school level, an enthusiastic high school seniors level knowledge of this. Broad disclaimer, we are not quantum physicists. If you're listening to this podcast thinking that we're quantum physicists, I don't know what to tell you. I'm sorry you made it to like the 35 minute mark, but (laughs) yeah, no, we're not. We're, We're goofy game designers. Absolutely. Uh, who happen to like weird things that they hear about when they're uh, 16. Yeah. Last thing on the design front, and then I want to talk a little bit about um, the play test you've got coming up. So what are you telling the GM for this game? What is that GM role that you envision? As in like what what resources do I provide for the GM in the game or? Well, what's what's the GM doing in this game? Like I, it, is it a is it a typical GM player relationship does it like walk the line of like GM list at times like how what's what's the GM doing here and then yeah what what kind of resources do you give them I think this game was intended and built as being a typical like game master players relationship so the game master is meant to be facilitating the story that being said I come into this as a zero prep game so like honey heist like something's wrong with the chickens like a lot of you know one page RPGs the plot uh, or the, the villain is discovered through roll tables for the GM as well. So the same way that players are building their character, the GM is building their world. So this comes in the form of five tables. We have the mastermind table. So who is behind these quantum catnappings, which you got fun. You got a vengeful mouse. Uh, <laughs> my name is in Montoya. You killed my father prepared to die. Um, there's an allergic Karen who can't breathe in here and really wants to know where the manager is. And there's uh, overzealous animal control officers who are amazed what they can do when the city just gives them a budget. They can eliminate (laughs) the cats in the real world and in Mm -hmm. the quantum space. So that gives you your kind of larger mastermind idea. I love government workers. The idea of government workers given enough money to like enter some kind of quantum realm is just comedy. Oh, yeah. It's great. Yeah. And it's I envision those guys rather than being like evil animal control officers. They're like, yeah, we're just trying to do our jobs. And now we yeah. can, <laughs> we've, we've been trying to get this funding for a while. We've had this plan in place and like there is a problem. We got to get to it. Yeah. Which I think could be fun. There is the headquarters of the hideout table, which describes the layer. So you're rolling on two tables that describe like, you know, is it an adjective and a noun? So, you know, the busy space station, the pristine mobile command center, you know, you can have a lot of fun there. Hmm. You also have one more main table and then two that you kind of use throughout the game. The last one is an ally table, which is you're going to have some kind of ally on this quest that helps you out. And this could be the crazy cat lady, you know, from next door. This could be pizza rat. This could be a cardboard box, not a magical cardboard box, just Just a cardboard cardboard box or, you know, a swarm of spectral sardines. And also, like, if you're if your players know that they have an ally coming up. If they throw something at you, let them have it. Like any mm. any kind of crazy cat weirdness in this world is absolutely allowed and encouraged. And then there are two tables that you use as needed in the game. So one of them is a complications table, which mm-hmm. just gives you some ideas of like goofy cat things that could be happening. Mm-hmm. So 
some of them more serious, some of them less. So one could be like your past lives have somehow come become corrupted and are turning on you. Like this is a you know scary thing. Or it could be someone nearby is saying, and you get distracted. You haven't eaten in over an hour and you're just starving. You know, it, it could be anything. And then just for fun, we have an idioms table, which is just a bunch of cat related sayings that you should be saying early and often. Mm. This cat got your tongue. Now that's mm. the cat's meow. It's like herding cats in here. You'll have fun. Excellent. Got to have that. Use it as often as possible. Incredible. Great set of, of GM tools. And I think like you were saying, it will get like a full game set up right away. I can see how all of that just creates a one shot just by rolling on those tables. So the GM, when we get to the end game scenario, I'm curious what the GM's role becomes in the end game scenario that you talked about before. In the end game scenario, once you know what is inside the box, you know how many successes and failures you have and what the direction of the, the conclusion of your story is going to be, the GM is there to, to facilitate and fully realize the player's wishes. So if we reveal that we're going to have an overall positive outcome, it's, it's three successes and two failures. As the players are narrating what they want to happen, GM, do your biggest, craziest, you know, descriptions, explanations of how that goes amazingly well or amazingly poorly for each of their decisions. Really mm-hmm. just, you're there to hype up the players and their choices. You're there to create this epic conclusion to this tale so when your character says oh i want uh pickles to catch up to the truck and feel free if you if your player wants to do a crazy description let them but if they just want to say i think pickles catches up to the truck pickles running with her little paws slides underneath grabs onto a moving electric skateboard and is hitching a ride with this guy and she gets to the tailpipe she jumps onto the tailpipe her claws shink around and she manages to just fly up grabs onto the handle and her little tiny kitten weight is just enough to open the door and she swings inside keep that momentum fast and heavy so that when the next player comes in with either a success or failure dice to describe what happens next in the story they are fully set up to like continue that forward momentum or to stop it in its tracks with one of these negative dice to show a big complication cool yeah, I like that. So it's they they become sort of like the pouring fuel on the fire of whatever the players are doing in the end game scenario. Exactly. I think the, the end game scenario is something that your your players are deciding how the story ends and you are there to make it as epic as possible. Awesome. All right, so that's the the role of the GM. You've given the GM these tables, these great tools, but I think based on the early draft of this that I read, one of the greatest tools you're giving the GM is the setting, the liminality. So tell me how you're thinking about this setting of the liminality and how it plays into a game of Schrodinger's Cats. Initially, in an early draft, I had a table that kind of described the liminality. So, you know, you roll on a couple of these tables to describe, like, what's slightly off about this world. So I imagine it as kind of a um, ethereal plane, if you're familiar with D&D. But I think it's kind of up to the players. I think once you once you get past character creation and setting creation, my recommendation to start the game is for your cats to like realize something is amiss. Their their past lives are not there, and they go into a Schrodinger's box. This could be either a physical cardboard box that is just laying around the house. They could go meet with Urban Schrodinger's you know great great granddaughter, and she has the real Schrodinger's box or whatever. And you can jump into this realm. But I think it's a thing that 
you and your player should create together. So I think it can really be anything you want. It is like a ghost spectral ethereal plane. Um, mm. It could be essentially like the real world with just a slight little bit of difference. Like, you know, every tree is covered in yarn or whatever, or it could be like a fluffy cloud pillow top. I mean, I think this is the space where the game master and the players can either, either the game master can really like exercise their world building, like kind of on the spot, or it's something you can do collaboratively together. Mm -hmm. And I think a good way to do this is something that is done in a lot of like one page RPGs, which is going around the table, let everyone give, one or two details of the liminality once you reach it. So like you all jump into the box, the box closes, you feel yourself getting sucked into this, going through this quantum tunnel of entanglement and, and superpositions and all this, you know, madness. Those are like, I, I've exhausted the words, the quantum words that I know. Mm. And you land in on the other side of this box, you open it up. What do you see? Let your players have a little bit of fun with that. Like it could be everything looks normal, except there's sardines everywhere. Or there's like, it's, you know, is this a, a heaven for cats? Is there catnip everywhere? And they're just like, all, all the past lives are loving it. That's how I like to think of it. But it also could be fluffy cloud paradise. It could be uh, kind of whatever you want it to be. And then that also kind of helps inform the story as well. Because then whatever layer mm. you have, you know, rolled, which could be like, a, you know, a pristine city hall building has to also exist in that world, which can create some fun juxtapositions if you create like, oh, cats. Uh, the liminality is like a, a big forest, but now there's a, you know, an ancient skyscraper in the middle of it. Like, you know, right. there's a lot of fun to be had there. Um, and it creates Absolutely. a good mechanism for storytelling and, and exploration. Yeah, it's like real infinite possibility is kind of how, like, when you bring in quantum and liminal and like these words, it kind of gives like possibilities, the first word that comes to mind. And the first to make a reference what like I'm picturing as the liminality of like what I would want or like mm -hmm. what I would like first imagine is, you know, in SpongeBob when Squidward has that moment where he's like, I'm finally alone. And then like all the words are just like shooting out in a white void around yeah, him, yeah, like yeah, alone, yeah. alone, 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 alone. That white space where like words are becoming physical and like their shapes and shit. That's like, that's how, where my head goes for, for liminality. Love that. So, we've talked about mechanics, we've talked about setting, GM players. Now, you very soon are going to put this all to the test in, in a play test that you're going to record for the show. Mm -hmm. So, what made you want to organize a play test, and what's, what are you hoping to get out of play testing? Really, I want to learn what this game is. We're going to be playing it for the first time and recording it, which is, I'm a little nervous about just in general for anyone to see like a rough draft this rough. Because I think even as you're asking me about the liminality, I'm realizing that that's not explicit enough in the, the game document. Like I'm not giving enough support to the game master of what does that space look like or how do you build that space together, which is something that should be added. So I think what I want to get out of the playtest is figuring out the questions that I need to be answering, which like one of them is, what is the liminality? Um, I'm sure one of them, I'm sure the mechanics will break down at some point as we like experience edge cases or I'll realize that four dice per person was way too few or four dice per person was way too many. And like, we're never going to get to the end. One of the, the worries I have about the, the dice pool system specifically is that because there is no penalty on successes, there's the ones aren't being removed. It doesn't have the same effect as 10 candles where anytime you roll a six, that means a success and the ones get removed. This is a, which is more the sixes or the ones. So there is a chance that you could just have a string of good successes that could extend the game longer. 
there could be wild swings in dice where all of a sudden you roll one six and eight ones or something and those Mm. all go into the box like there could be wild swings that may make the game go faster or shorter but maybe that just works into the narrative like maybe if i roll five ones and we lose them to the box something truly awful happens right so really my my biggest hope for this play test a is for it to you know for everyone to have fun and us us to have a good time and learn more about this game if you're having fun you're already doing it right if you're having fun you're already doing it right but i'd like to make sure that it is as easy as possible for someone who's never looked at this game, who's never picked it up, to have fun. And that comes from making a good, well-thought-out game that takes into consideration what those edge cases will be and really props up the game master and the players which with everything they need, especially for something that can be as daunting and challenging as a zero-prep game. Like, coming mm-hmm. in with nothing and knowing you have to figure it out as you go can be scary for a lot of people in the same way that like getting up on stage and doing improv is scary. But if you have a solid base behind you, if you have a good support system, which would be the document of this game, if it's giving you everything you need to succeed, it's so much easier to have fun, which is why I think games like 10 candles, games like wander home games, like something is wrong with the chickens are so good at that because by the time you get through with character and world creation, everyone is so on board with, what is happening, what the world is and who they are within it, that playing is almost second nature. It comes to you in the same way that it did when you, you know, were a kid playing make believe with, you know, fake stick swords and shields that broke lasers that broke through shield breaking lasers and stuff. So the more I can set up a stranger, a person who picks up this game and has never heard this podcast and has never played a one page RPG before the more I can set them up for success with the document, with what is written on the page, the happier I will be. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it's good to, you know, see a report card at the end of the day of we're going to play this game for the first time. I'm because I have to listen to it in sound design and I'm going to have to hear every uh, mistake <laughs> or yep. every great success five or six times in great excruciating detail. I think a lot of game designers would tell you that's their probably worst nightmare is probably having to listen to a playtest of their own game in that much detail over and over again. I am not looking forward to that process. Uh, <laughs> even if it goes well, I, every time I have a session that I then have to edit for, for this podcast, I have to hear every missed opportunity over mm. and over again, which I'm sure is good for growth but is painful to listen to because you never really hear your successes. That just, you kind of gloss over those. You hear the moments where you missed the trick or where someone was setting you up for something and you missed, you know, the joke that they were going for, or you missed the moment or didn't execute it in the way that you hoped um, or just screwed up the mechanics. The one good thing is that I think I have a better chance of success because I made the game and know the game and have played games like it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it'd be even scarier for me to give this to a random game master um, because then you very quickly realize if your mechanics make sense or not. When all of a sudden that first roll happens, then go, okay, what does two sixes and one three mean? Does that mean Mm -hmm. anything? What happens? Mm -hmm. Which will be, you know, the next step to start off. I'm going to try to do it with me and see how it goes. Yeah, yeah. So you so that's kind of answering this question, but I'll ask it anyway. In terms of where you're at with the with the text of this, you see this as the first of multiple playtests, and like, are you ready to go back to square one after this playtest if you're not feeling good about it? Like, what 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 kind of 
Where are you at in the process of going into this play play test? Going in right now, I feel like this is a completed first draft. In reality, this is probably like the second or third. I think I think this is version one point three. So it's it's the third written draft. But I don't think anything else can change for better or for worse until I field test it. You know, like the what's the the phrase? You know, no plan survives first contact with the enemy. Mm-hmm. So until I I put this thing to the test and have it you know, play test it and see what works, what doesn't, what people are excited about, what people don't care about, what I end up using, like what elements of this game I lean on mm-hmm. uh, when I'm when I'm struggling with like an improv scene or something and what elements I don't use at all. Then I'll be able to go back and know and, and understand what the bones of this game actually are and what is fluff, what can be removed, mm-hmm. what needs to be emphasized. And also, like I said before, what the vibe of this game is because i think i know Mm -hmm. it's fun it's silly it's it's goofy cats doing things there are jokes littered throughout this this game Mm -hmm. document so we know it's silly and fun and relatively lighthearted. but i think after completing at least one game i'll have a better idea of what tone i was actually going for because Mm -hmm. i'll be forced to play it and like i think that'll kind of reveal itself a little bit so to, to synthesize that a little bit, you one of the things you want to get is you want to answer the question, what is this game about? You want to have that clear answer after you play. My hope is to have a clear answer. I don't think mm. I will, but okay. I think I'll be further along the path to knowing what the game is about, or at least at a point where I can make a decision on what it's about and mm-hmm. guide more of the mechanics and tailor more of the mechanics to what this game is actually trying to do. If it's fun and silly, add more fun and silly things. If it's if this is a melancholic game, like, you know, reflecting on your past lives could be that. Maybe you add in more of that. If this mm-hmm. is a scary game, push more into that. I don't think it is. Mm, um, no, probably not. But Probably maybe. not. But you never know. Liminal can be kind of a, a creepy word. That's great. I think those are, I think those are good goals that you have for this playtest. I'm curious what you are, what's kind of the expectation you're setting with the people you've brought on to, to play test? Like what kind of feedback are you going to ask from them? Are you going to do like a, a questionnaire after, are you going to chat with them for a bit right after play? What's kind of, how are you uh, setting up the players to kind of give you useful feedback after playing? That's a good question. I think I should design something a little more formal than what I'm thinking of doing, but we, we, we're we're going to play the game and do a talkback episode immediately afterwards so we can kind of discuss what was fun, what went right, what went wrong, and how we can make our games even better. But to kind of go through and see what made sense, what didn't, what did you like, what were your favorite moments, what parts didn't you like. And I think going in and having that conversation immediately afterwards, mm-hmm. everyone's, everyone's riding the high of the game, assuming mm-hmm. we get to you know a, a, a positive high space, and it'll be easy to pull from them in that kind of post game way, what really worked? What did you have most fun with? What was the best moment? And you know, what was the worst one? What, what, where were you confused? When did you, when did you first get into the game? And I think some of that will be apparent as we're playing. Like you'll be able, you can usually tell when your players like fall into the game, like when they Mm -hmm. kind of go from being a little bit apprehensive about being in a, in a play space and then fully enter that play space. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think it's going to be a conversation about, what made sense, what was fun, what didn't make sense, what could be better, uh, mm-hmm. what could be, what elements could be downplayed. And just, I, I do think collaboration is, makes anything better. So having people come in and be, and put my back to the wall and mm-hmm. say like, 
hey, my cat wants to do this. What do you, what happens? Mm-hmm. Having to figure that stuff out will be immensely valuable. And, and we have an interesting array of people who are going to be playing. We've got, uh, so we have Abby, who's played a bunch of one-page RPGs with me. She's played on, on this podcast a bunch. We have Kevin Bauer, who's played D&D, but hasn't really played, hasn't really played any one-page RPGs, I don't believe, or at least doesn't mm-hmm. have a lot of experience in that. And then I've got uh, my friend Julia Schroeder, who, to my knowledge, has not played any role-playing games at all. She does oh, do uh, improv comedy, so is familiar with this kind of space, but has not done anything like this. So I'm getting a good array of people for this. We're getting someone who's very experienced with all these things, someone who's experienced with kind of the vague idea of it, and mm-hmm. someone who has no direct experience. Um, and hopefully that will give me a, a pretty broad idea of what this game needs, what this game has, and what this game can do and can be. But I think this will likely be the first of, if I want to really put this game out into the world, the first of many playtests. Mm-hmm. Uh, some, mm-hmm. some jammed by me, and much to my chagrin, some jammed by others, because that's mm-hmm. where it will have to be eventually. So I want to make sure it's in as good a place as possible to really support the game master and the players before I put it in someone else's hands and say, here you go, go have fun. I want to make sure that's a tool, not an impediment that I'm giving them. Absolutely. And I will say that in my experience with this podcast and with you, I think that that once once you were running the game, because in playtesting, I ran the game and I didn't have anybody else, which was kind of a mistake in, in, in uh, that process. For something is wrong with the chickens? For something is wrong with the chickens, yeah. Um, and then when you ran it for the show, even though the game was pretty much finished at that point, we did play before the official release, there were things about that game that helped me figure out even just like wordings in the rules that would make things more clear mm-hmm. for, for somebody to come in and run it who isn't me. So hugely, hugely valuable step is to have somebody somebody else run it. So I think we've talked a little bit about like these things that might make you nervous, these things you want to push on and, and, and learn about. Let's go a little more positive. What aspect of running and playing this game are you most excited about what are you what do you think will be just like a blast honestly i've got two cats i was not a cat guy until my girlfriend was like hey let's get a cat i said okay we can get one and then i very quickly was like hey let's get five we ended up on two roy donkin bart harley jarvis in case you're wondering they're the goodest boys but just having like goofy cat fun and combining that with like quantum mechanics and like weird quantum shit and like letting people play with whatever their idea of the quantum realm is Mm -hmm. letting people's imagination go wild with combining these two very disparate ideas that Mm -hmm. are connected through idioms and through like pop culture like you know cats have nine lives cats don't like what there's so many preconceived notions you can play with and so many like idioms about cats which is why i have a whole table about them you can really have a lot of fun with it and i think that what Honey Heist did and what Something's Wrong with the Chickens did is combine two very fun ideas of like bear and criminal, chicken and eldritch horror. And by having those juxtapositions, you make some weird fucking things. And it just, it so quickly becomes goofy and fun and mm-hmm. memorable. Mm-hmm. Um, like I have very clear memories of the first time I played both of those games. And I forever will because like you're put in a situation that you would never be put in. Uh, yeah, mentally otherwise something caught on fire in my brain the first time i played honey heist it was like yeah. just was like so such a such a like really woke something up in me i was like oh this is 
this is cool. This it's is just a great tool for imagination. I mean, that's mm-hmm. essentially what these games are. Where I mean, we're just play and make believe. But if you're given the tools to do it, I don't want to say to do it right because there's, there's no right answer here. But if you're given the right tools, it becomes a lot easier and a lot more fun. Right. And you know, there's we sometimes talk a little bit like seriously about like you know what went right, what went wrong. How do we how can we make the game even better? But it's not about like we did something wrong. It's about how do we more quickly, more efficiently get into that that really fun space right. in a field that is tougher for adults to get into a little bit. Like when you're mm-hmm. a kid, it's so easy to play pretend. Easiest thing in the world. Easiest thing in the world is like make friends when you're a kid. You just walk up to a kid and be like, hey, you want to be a friend? As you get older, that instinct for play can go away. Mm-hmm. And by having these tools of role-playing games, it gets you back into that like childlike wonder state and imaginative play state quicker and more efficiently and we just want to have when we're there we want to have as much fun as possible like we want to make that experience as good as possible because you only get it so many times absolutely well i think that you are set up for a really fantastic play test i think you have you've got great you've got some great bones of a game here and i and i think that you know, when you get players around the table that you're really going to see it come alive and you're going to learn what you need to learn. And best of luck with the play test. I can't wait to hear how it turns out and, and hear about the changes you're going to make and, and see this game come together into, into something that I will push you to release out into the world, no matter, oh, for no sure. matter what it takes. Yeah, I think when this podcast comes out, I will include in each of the episodes a link to like a PDF of where the game was at at the time. So for this episode... You'll see version 1.2 that we're talking about right now for the playtest episode. Any changes I make. So a version 1.3, if, if I make them, will be included. And then for the, the talkback episode, I'll include what changes I made as a result of that talkback episode. Um, so you'll, you can hopefully see where it was, where it is, where it's going. And I'm sure it will change many, many times before it's released in any major way. But it'll be fun to see what something in progress looks like and terrifying for me for you to see my in progress work. It'll be great. It'll be great. It'll I have the fun. utmost confidence. Brian, I'm going to hold on to the host chair from you. Where can, uh, where can people find you other than right here? People can find me right here uh, at My First Dungeon. You can find the show on Twitter at My First Dungeon or on Instagram at 20 Sided Podcast. You can also check out 20sidedpodcast.com. We keep information about both the 20-Sided Podcast and My First Dungeon there. And if you're interested in learning more about both this show, 20-Sided Podcast, and thoughts about tabletop role-playing games in general, you can check out our bi-monthly newsletter, the 20-Sided Newsletter. Click the link in the description below or go to 20sidednewsletter.substack.com. Me personally, you can find me at, at bflare42 on Instagram or at Mr. Brian Flaherty on Twitter. Next episode, Brian will be running a one-shot of his game, Schrodinger's Cats, with a great group of players. Then he'll circle back for episode three and discuss how he can apply that experience to make an even better game. And Elliot, before you go, I really want you to tell people about the game that you are launching. You're starting the crowdfunding campaign today, February 3rd. Tell me a bit more about this game. I'm really excited to see how it uh, comes out. Yeah, so the new game is called Project Echo, and it's my first ever solo game. And so it's a solo journaling game with a little bit of a twist. 
uh, in the game you will be time traveling and instead of a journal you'll be moving across the pages of a planner back and forth using uh, a variety of mechanics or time travel devices and yeah it's on crowdfunder starting today february 3rd and it's running till the 24th so the url for that is crowdfunder.com that's crowdfunder without the e where you would put it (laughs) you know that hip way that you do with apps yeah you know the hip tech way of spelling crowdfunder.com slash project echo and echo is ecco so a little different and we'll also have that link down in the description yeah but elliot you also have a bunch of uh, very cool co-collaborators and like stretch goals for this crowdfunder campaign why don't you tell me about some of those people yeah, there's this really cool person doing layout. Um, mm-hmm. Don't know if you've heard of him, Brian Flaherty. Mm, that sounds handsome. Yeah, he does. He does. Um, <laughs> so yes, he'll be uh, helping us out with layout, which I'm very excited about. If people haven't seen your new Orker work, they should definitely check that out. It's uh, one of my favorite things. It's a deep cut. A buddy of mine, Colin, under the name Behold, will be doing some theme music, and one of our stretch goals is a full soundtrack from him. Um, he's doing some really dope, glitchy, clock, uh, little pumping 80s vibes, like synth-heavy music. It's really awesome. It gives me, like, impromptu stank face, and you can hear it in the video on the crowdfunder campaign. Our editor for the project is Will Jobs. They are an award-winning tabletop game designer. They've done games like Torque. This Discord has ghosts in it, Campfire. Um, really excited to be working with Will. Um, we've already done a little bit of work on the crowdfunder page, and they're just such a great editor. And finally, our guest writer is going to be Samantha Lee. They're coming on to do a tarot card-powered mechanic for the game uh, for time travel, building off of kind of their work with Anamnesis, which is an incredible game. If you haven't read Anamnesis, you should check that out. And also they just dropped a demo for their new game, Death of the Author, which is also looking like it will be excellent. So yeah, great team of five friends and uh, designers who I really respect and just awesome, awesome creative people. We have uh, three great stretch goals. At just 500 over our goal at 3,000, we'll get a full original soundtrack by Behold. Uh, So five full songs that you can listen to while you play in that same style as the theme music. At double our goal at 5,000, everybody gets a raise. Going to just pay all the contributors more because that's why you make stuff with your friends. You can get them paid. And then at 7,500, triple our goal, the official planner um, that is one of the tiers of the game. We'll get a big upgrade. We'll get some additional artwork in there, some supplemental game material. So really hoping we can make some of those happen. And uh, again, crowdfunder.com slash Project Echo. And I really selfishly want to see that upgraded planner and all the cool stuff you have planned for it with like art and little like hidden features and stuff. So I know I'm going to be donating. I hope everyone who's listening will be donating because I want to see this. It's not for anyone else. It's for me alone. Me. <laughs> uh, me but too. It will be, but it will be very cool. The game is super cool from what I've uh, read of it already. Please go check out the crowdfunder page. The links are below. I've also posted links for the trailer below. Uh, it's very cool. Edited by yours truly. And I'm just really excited to see uh, this project come to fruition. And I think it's the perfect way to cap off the first episode of our playtest series if you like this show and you want to support it the best thing you can do is go to your podcast player right now click subscribe and leave us a review it really does help more people find the show makes us feel all warm and good inside to see five star ratings and nice comments that's it for this episode of my first dungeon playtest edition and as always remember if you're having fun you're already doing it right bye-bye everybody bye-bye
If you're hearing this, that means you have listened to every last second of this episode, and that probably makes you a fan of this show. Well, if you're a fan and you like what we're doing and want to help others find it as well, then consider leaving us a five-star review over on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. Getting more ratings really does help more people find the show, and reading your nice words about the things that we put out into the world makes us feel all warm and good inside, and we want more of those good, good feels. So head on over to your podcast player of choice and leave us a five-star review. Thanks.